The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. That's awesome. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. So I've been out the last two Sundays, really, really excited to be back. So Gene and I took a vacation in the Keys and Trey and Rick filled in for me. I heard they did a fantastic job. So glad to be back. I want to share a little snippet of our stays in the Keys. And so we were in Marathon, Florida. And so right north of Key West, right south of Key Largo. So we're right in the middle in the Keys. Actually, our resort, the place that we stayed at was right next to the Seven Mile Bridge. Like, I mean, 100 yards, okay? And so while we were hanging out there, they had this feature where we could go kayaking. And so we went kayaking the first day, and it was awesome. We took a left out of our area and went to this island. It was beautiful. It was calm. We had a great experience. And I was like, we need to do this again. But next time, let's go right, and we can say that we kayak from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. So it's going to be amazing. We're going to go through the Seven Mile Bridge. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be fun. We're going to jump out and jump into the water over there. Say we swim in both oceans in one day. Like all these things I was thinking, it's going to be so cool and so fun. And so we hop in our kayak. We go right. We get to the bridge. And all of a sudden I realize, you know, it's pretty choppy. Like there's a lot of waves going on around the bridge. But I was like, this is going to be fun. So we row right through it and we start hovering. I mean, we're just going. And I was like, man, that was great. This is easy. And so we start, we keep going. We get in the Gulf. We hop into the water. We swim. It's beautiful. And we're like, man, isn't this amazing? And then all of a sudden we look up and there is a storm coming, right? I mean, you know, lightning, thunder, rain, it's getting heavy. And so we're like, all right, we better get back. So we start, you know, rowing and we notice, oh, this time it's upstream. It's a little harder, right? And so we start rowing. We're rowing pretty hard. You know, we're rowing pretty good. And so we come all the way around, and we're getting near the bridge. And I noticed this time, from this angle and with the storm in the back, it's not just choppy. It's like this. I mean, it's like whitewater rafting. And I was like, all right, honey, let's, we got to dig. Like, we got to start rowing. And so we start rowing harder, right? We finally get up to the post. And our kayak is literally diving to the left, diving to the right. She's like, honey, you got this? And I was like, I'm trying, right? And so we're rowing. And all of a sudden, we get to the post. We get to the bridge. And we are paddling hard. And we're not moving forward. And so I was like, uh-oh. And my wife noticed, too. I was kind of hoping she wasn't noticing that we weren't moving forward. She starts to go, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. <laughs> like, I mean, it was that kind of moment. And our kayak is swinging. And we noticed that, like, the water, when it hits the bridge, it dives under and then smacks back. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm staring this thing. So we paddle for our lives. Now, here's the interesting thing. While we're paddling like no other, storm coming, there's this restaurant right on the corner. Sunset Grill or whatever. Everybody's out eating their crab legs and their shrimp, and we're doing this. I mean, just, just trying to save our lives, you know? So we get all the way back. We make it through, okay? We get all the way back. The same guy who sent us off, he goes, hey, so how was the trip? The storm's like coming. I was like, man, it was great. It was fun, but it, was, it got a little dicey around the bridge. He goes, you went to the bridge? And I was like, yeah. He goes, you're not supposed to go that way. It's not safe. I was like, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Glad we're not in the hospital. So 
Glad to be back. No ER trips. Super pumped. Um, so thanks for being here. We are in week eight of our House Rules series. So each week we take a look at cultural distinctives of who we are at Grace. And so this week, we're talking about big-hearted generosity. And so we prioritize giving to God's work over protecting ourselves. If you're like me, when I read this, I'm like, oh man, that's challenging. Like, wow. We prioritize giving to God's work over protecting ourselves. And so I recognize that there's many types of people who are coming from different backgrounds, different contexts when it comes to money, finances, church, everything. And so I want to share with you, in 2008, Donald Miller wrote a book. I think it was 2008. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. And in that, he wrote these essays. It was almost a conversation about what Christianity is to him and how he's been working through the process of discipleship. What does this all mean? What does this all look like? He's trying to put it all together in this book. He's trying to figure out his faith. And one chapter, one essay was on tithing. And he told this story about one of his really good friends. And he said he noticed his friend come into his room and he was carrying this jar full of change and dollar bills. He was like, what's the deal with the jar, man? Like, what's, what's going on? And he goes, oh, this is, uh, this is my tithe, man. He goes, you're what? He's like, yeah, whatever I make, I give 10% of what I make to the church. He's like, what? He's like, you do that? The reason why he was saying that is because he was thinking, you're broke like me. I'm a writer. You don't make any money. You give money to the church? Really? And he's like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, why do you do that? And the guy responds to Donald and he goes, because Jesus told me to give. Because he tells me to and I want to obey Jesus. And Donald Miller literally looks at him and he goes, well, I want to obey Jesus. He's like, I mean, are you telling me I'm supposed to give? He's like, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I don't know what to tell you. And so he goes, Donald Miller talks about his process of going to his pastor and saying, hey, like my body was carrying this jar. Am I supposed to give? to the church, like it blew his mind that people do this. And the pastor kind of laughed and he's like, yeah, you're supposed to do that. And he's like, I thought that was for rich people. I'm broke, man. Like you really want me to give you your money? And he's like, yeah, you know? And so I recognize that I'm sharing that story with you because you may be here today. It's your first Sunday. Or when you think about money, you have no idea, or it sounds crazy to you, like absolutely insane that somebody who makes $100,000 a year, that they would give 10K to the church. Or somebody who makes $50,000 a year, that they would give $5,000 to the church. Or, man, it just blows your mind or blows somebody's mind that a couple combined salaries makes $200,000 a year and gives $20,000 to the church. Maybe you're here this morning, you're going, what? That's a thing? People do that? Really? I don't know where you're coming from, but I'm so excited to unpack giving in the Bible. So we're not going to be taking this huge, all-encompassing view of giving in the Bible. We're going to be looking at a very specific passage in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so you can turn there. We're going to be in chapter eight, or you can pull up your phone. Um, there's going to be a Bible in one of your rows if you need one, but you can turn there. Second Corinthians chapter eight. 
I want to give you a little context about 2 Corinthians. I've said this before, but I think it needs to be said again. The church of Corinth is the most like the American church today. Out of all the letters, out of all the churches, out of every situation in the New Testament, the church of Corinth is the most like the American church today. It had division. It was full of pride. There was sexual immorality. There was all this stuff going on in the church of Corinth. Not only that, the other thing that you need to know is that Paul is treading lightly in his verbiage. In other words, when he writes this second letter, he's treading lightly in how he says things and he's being gentle because he has a rocky relationship with Corinth. He wrote them 1 Corinthians. They didn't take it well. So he wrote a really harsh letter that's actually not in the Bible, but the scriptures refer to it. And then they respond well. They receive the rebuke. So now he's treading lightly because he recognizes that this relationship matters. But he also wants them to grow in their faith and their godliness and all that they do. So that's a little context before we jump in. Chapter 8, verse 1. Let's take a look. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on that part, on their part. This is beautiful. Paul's saying, hey, 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 Church of Corinth, do you know, have you heard, have you been a part of, do you realize what's going on in the churches of Macedonia? Look and behold the grace of God. He ties grace with something that we're going to see in a minute. But he says, look, behold, do you see, do you know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia? Then he says this, for in a severe test of affliction. So the churches in Macedonia were being afflicted, persecuted for their faith. Probably their stuff probably monetarily, probably they couldn't get jobs where they could before. Probably they were emotionally, spiritually, and even physically persecuted. He says a severe affliction. Their abundance, then he says this, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of this severe affliction, what, what, what's, what's going on? They have an abundance of joy. They have this soaring joy in the midst of it. And what? And their extreme poverty. Another word for that is rock bottom poverty. Now I'm from Georgia. We would call this broke as a joke. Okay. That's the picture here. So they're soaring with joy in the midst of persecution and what's taking place. And in the midst of their extreme rock bottom poverty, what happens? It says that they have overflowed The Greek literally says, spilled over in a wealth of generosity. That makes no sense, right? I mean, how many of you have watched the episode in Friends where Rachel makes trifle? You know what I'm talking about? She takes whipped cream, beef, and peas and puts it all together. And it's just absolutely disgusting, right? Ross is like, this tastes like feet. This is gross. Like, oh my gosh. It's like, how does this work? That makes no sense. In the same way, Paul is saying, have you seen the grace of God? 
These people, these churches who are being persecuted, who are broke, that they're overflowing with generosity. That they're literally spilling over the grace of God. That's the picture. He says, Church of Corinth, have you heard? Have you seen this? Y'all need to listen to this. Y'all need to see this. Verse three, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So I'll be honest with you, Gene and I, we seek to live this out, okay? We say, okay, this is what we are willing to give, okay? This is what we think is within our means. This is what we think is good. And then we say, all right, can we give a little more? And that's not just that the church, that's abroad everywhere. So we say, all right, here's what we know we should give. This is what God calls us to. We want to give a little more than that, so we're good with that. But let's, let's push it. Let's see if we can give a little more. And it's tough. It's challenging, not because it's like we'll go broke doing it. It's challenging because there's all these other things in our lives that we want, that we desire, that we think are good, that we, that we want to create for us. And God continually pushes us and says, hey, will you be generous? Will it not be about you? Will it not be about just your story? There's a greater story at play. And so we, we seek to, to prioritize giving to God over protecting ourselves. Do y'all see that in this text? <laughs> They're being persecuted for their faith. They don't have money or much, not much at all. They're rock bottom poor. And what do they do? They overflow with generosity. So they, they are prioritizing God's work over protecting themselves by giving. It would make all the sense in the world for them to say, all right, I'm going to work an extra shift. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to dive in so that I can pay my bills, so that I can do whatever it is that I need to do. And we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to hunker down. We're going to do our thing. And we're just going to, we're going to make it in life. No, 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 no. They're overflowing with generosity to the church, to God's work. It's beautiful. Maybe you're in a boat right now where you can barely make ends meet or you're drowning in debt, or you have the resources to give, but your heart's just not quite there yet. So I want to walk alongside you in many ways in this message. One is, we've got in, a, in, a, in several weeks in August, we're doing Financial Peace University. So we're, our, the Brinks, who are part of our campus, they're actually here in this service, they're going to be teaching a class that Dave Ramsey does that teaches you how to think about a budget how to think about finances in God's economy, how to move the ball forward with your money and God. It's a fantastic class. So if you feel like that, you're drowning or you don't know which way's up or you don't know how to move the ball forward, man, join that class. You can sign up. We're gonna have that in our announcements. You can sign up for that class today. It'll help you process a biblical framework to be a good steward before God. So I encourage you to do that. So I'm going to read verse three again. Listen to this. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Verse four, listen to this. This blows my mind. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is so counter to our consumer culture today. I mean, I think it was last week, I'm a Prime member, uh, Amazon Prime. Any, anybody, any, any members in here? Come on, raise your hand. I know there's a bunch of y'all. Yeah, there's a lot. There's at least over 50%. So they do this thing that they fabricated, they made up, 
And for two days out of the year, I think they've been doing it since 2015, they fabricated this day called Amazon Prime Day. So last week was 2019's Prime Day and the numbers came out. They killed it. As a matter of fact, the tagline that I read in my normal news feed was, nobody can top Amazon. Like they're ballers when it comes to sales. It said they claim that they had 175 million items purchased in 48 hours. That's over $7 billion in two days. That's crazy. Like they are killing it when it comes to that. We live in a culture where people consume and consume and consume. And I'm a part of that culture. Let me, let me give you this. Did you know that there's a website called blackfridaydeathcount.com? Anybody, I'm just curious, anybody heard of this? 2006, a guy out in Los Angeles started tracking deaths and injuries related to Black Friday. Okay, y'all are laughing, but it gets crazy, okay? To date, there have been 12 deaths, 117 injuries, all related to shopping. Shopping stampedes, fights in the parking lot, people pulling guns on one another. I mean, crazy stuff, all for the sake of an item. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We live in a culture where people will literally kill one another to get more stuff. And here are these people, what are they doing? They're begging. Man, Paul, can I be a part of this relief? Can I be a part of giving to the work of God? They're begging to say, I want to be a part of this. We're being persecuted. We don't have any money, but we're gonna go all in because we prioritize giving to God's work over protecting ourselves. Man, why? For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They're saying, hey, we know that God is moving and that God is working and we wanna bless others. We wanna give to this work. These people recognized there was favor in being a part of God's work. They didn't view the work of Christ as a burden or an obligation. They viewed it as a privilege. It's interesting. Sometimes it feels like, man, we're saying, hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. And they're saying, no, 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 we're gonna do this. How do we do this? Where do we go? What do we do? How much do we give? How can we be a part of God's work? They did. They weren't fighting over the Instapot that was marked half off. They're fighting over how do we give to the initiative of God's work. It's challenging. It's beautiful. What about you? Are you longing to be a part of God's work by being generous? Or are you always longing for more stuff? The next sale item, the next email with the hot new product, whatever it is, do you see the favor of God when you give towards his work? You get to be a part of God's work by giving. That's just another way that you say, I'm in for you, Jesus. This is what this church longed and begged to do. This shows their heart. This shows what's deep down inside. This is them saying, hey, I'm giving you my all. Here it is. Verse five. And this, not as we expected, Paul speaking about himself and about those that are with him, Titus, Timothy, whoever else is with him. 
not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. We're committed to Jesus. We're committed to his work, his mission, his everything. And then by the will of God to us. So they're not just saying, hey, we're committed to Jesus. We're committed to the mission of God, Paul. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, we're in. And it said it blew his mind. Verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This, this verse right here. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Church of Corinth, have you heard have you seen the grace of God that this church who is suffering, who is rock bottom poor, do you see their overflow of generosity? So church of Corinth, you excel in all of these things, but you need to excel in this act of grace as well. You need to give, you need to see and be a part of this. So I wanna ask you this morning, are you the one who talks about Jesus to others, reads your Bible and prays, but doesn't give generously to the church, to God's work. Paul is saying you excel in so many things. Everyone who sees thinks that this person is a believer and you hold on to your money. You say, God, I'm gonna give you every area. I'm gonna excel here, 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 but not here. Don't touch that. Don't, don't go there. I got it all worked out. I got a control on it. This is the way I'm going to go. Personally, okay, this is me speaking. I think it's for a couple of reasons. And one of those reasons is, is that people don't talk about finances. They don't talk about money. And some for good reasons, some maybe not. I mean, some of the reasons that people don't talk about giving, like even in the church, is why? Because they don't want to be showy. They don't want to be like, hey, did you hear my jacket? Right? They don't want to come off as arrogant, Right? And so they don't say anything. Or maybe you're here or at another church or somewhere and you don't give and so you feel a little guilty about it so you're not gonna talk about it. And so nobody challenges one another. There's this culture when it comes to money and finances that we just say, we're not gonna talk about this. We should absolutely be talking about this. Think about it. If you're gonna meet with another brother in Christ or another sister in Christ or even in your small groups, what do you talk about? You talk about spurring one another onto love and good deeds. So you would say things like, hey man, don't look at porn. Hey, you should pray more. Hey, you should, you should be a part of not having that kind of tongue. Don't lose your cool at home. Well, guess what? Part of discipleship is, hey, you need to give your money to God. That's part of recognizing that God holds all of it. So we should be talking about this. And so let me, let, me, let me dive even further. I think we read passages like Matthew 5 that says, hey, listen, don't give for the purpose of everyone looking at you. Don't do that. And so some people will say, oh, well, you know, it says that you're not supposed to talk about it. Really, it talks about prayer and fasting in the exact same way. I don't see anywhere at any church that we have a problem saying, hey, you need to pray more. Hey, I have this habit of prayer in my life and I'm trying to develop it. I've been praying with my kids. I've been praying with my wife. I've been praying with others at my school. We don't have any problem talking about that when it comes to discipleship. So what's the, what's the motive? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, hey, don't do it with the motive of saying, look at me. As a matter of fact, 
dive it even more. Luke 24, Jesus literally points out a woman who gives so generously that he says, hey, everybody, look at this. This is what we're about. It's showing that she has a heart that says, I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. So actually the opposite Jesus is doing in another scenario. He's saying your motive can't be look at me. It doesn't mean we don't talk about it. It doesn't mean we don't look at it. It doesn't mean we don't discuss it. It's a part of discipleship. I mean, so I do weddings. I love doing weddings. They're fun. I do a charge to the husband and the wife. And here's my charge to the wife. I want y'all to hear this. I say, you are to respect him and honor him as he strives to provide godly leadership in your home. You are to love him, encourage him, support him, and challenge him in such a way that he becomes the man who God desires him to be. In families and spouses, sometimes it's one or the other. One spouse, either the husband or the wife, one of them are saying, hey, listen, I'm all in about going to church. I'm all in about reading my Bible. I'm all in talking about Jesus, but we're not doing any of this given stuff. It's sometimes it's just one spouse. You have an obligation before God, wives and husbands, to challenge your spouse and your spouse needs to listen. You need to submit this area to God. Jesus says it in a different way, but I'll get there in a second. Verse eight, I say this not as a command. Okay, listen to this. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Remember I told you Paul is treading lightly here for a couple of reasons. One is giving should be from the heart and full of joy. Two, he's on shaky ground with these people and he wants to encourage them and spur them on. It's almost like a, riding a bike for the first time. You want to like just let them go and say go, but you kind of have to lead them along. You have to watch them. You have to catch them every then so they don't fall over. That's what he's doing. He's saying not as a command, but then indirectly, listen to what he says. He's treading lightly. He makes it a big deal. He says that giving would prove their submission to Jesus in their hearts. Do this so that you can prove the genuineness of your love, like the Macedonians. Do this to show where your heart flows, to show what's going on in here. When they give to the mission, it shows their love is genuine. Jesus says it in a negative way. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's another way to think about it. In your budget, your biggest line items are a roadmap to your heart. Think about that. Verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty might become rich. What's the, what's the tie? He starts out with grace. He says, have you heard? Have you seen? Do you know the grace of God in this church? And then as he talks about giving and that we should excel in this grace as well, Church of Corinth, all churches in the world, that we should excel in this way, what does he do? He actually ties giving 
to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a gospel issue. He says, hey, listen, Jesus, who was on high, God himself comes down to earth, becomes poor, becomes like us. And what does he do? He suffers and he dies on a cross. He became poor so that what? We could become spiritually rich. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe Jesus is the son of God and that he died for our sins, what does that mean? It means that now we are forgiven, that now we are spiritually rich, that we've been given every blessing from on high, according to Ephesians 1. We're now new creatures in Christ. So he says, hey, listen, like the gospel, like what Jesus did, we need to do. We need to give generously. Why? Because when in the midst of our means and what we have to give, what do we do when we give to the work of God and we don't protect ourselves, we help others grow physically and spiritually strong. So let me give you a couple of examples of grace. We're baptizing eight people today. That's a part of y'all giving to the work. We do service projects. There's one on your seat where we're going into Orange County and we're trying to help underprivileged kids and and nightmare situations with families, right? We do care and counseling that we start in December. We literally take a multitude of professional counselors who would normally get paid $200, $300 an hour because they're that good that we have now subsidized to where you can pay $25 an hour and get professional counseling centered around the Bible. Giving to God's work, salvation's informal and formal counseling, Sunday services, Grace Kids, Grace Students programming's on Sunday, hopefully for more outside on Sunday, and then a building in the future. When you give to God's work and don't prioritize yourself, you're investing in the kingdom of God. And so you know our mission statement here at Grace is to help others take their next step toward Christ. So I want you to hear this. We want 100% of people at Grace to give. We want every single person at Grace to take his or her next step to grow in generosity. Whether you've given consistently and thoughtfully or never given anything before, we believe that everyone has something to give and some way to grow. What step will you take in big-hearted generosity today? Let's pray. God, would you... Would you open us up? Would you help us to see your word and to see you, Jesus, and just how much you've done in our lives, how you have transformed us? God, and that out of that transformation, our hearts would flow effortlessly to you. God, that you would help us to prioritize giving to your work and not protecting ourselves. God, I know this is challenging, but God, I pray that you would do a great and mighty work. We love you, Jesus. Amen.